Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name's Chris, and we're so glad you chose to hang out with us today. I'm thinking of a game that I bet is the first game you ever played uh, growing up. It's a game that doesn't really have very many rules. It's uh, very difficult to keep score. There are no clubs. There are no leagues. There are no television exposure to this game. But I would venture to bet that every single person in this auditorium, every single person on the stream today, this was the very first game you played. It's played by, as far as I know, every single culture, every single human being, uh, regardless of what country they live in. So right now, uh, for those of you on the stream, I'd like you to take a guess and type in uh, what you think. Uh, the actual game is, and everyone here in the auditorium, turn to the person beside you, wake them up if you need to, and, uh, or in front of you, and uh, tell them what you think the game is, okay? So go ahead, speak out loud. Okay, now, the game, if you're wondering what it is, it is Peekaboo! And uh, the rules are very simple, folks. First you peek, then you boo. Peek-a-boo. Peek-a-boo. And that's the first game I think most people have ever learned before. Now, my two girls, uh, when they were growing up, we played peek-a-boo all the time. And you know what? They were very quick learners. Like, they understood this game very, very well. In fact, they understood it so well that uh, they would be able to understand the rules. They would know that, you know what, I can hide from you, Dad. I can kind of peek from you. I can hide from you, and you can't see me. You, big, powerful daddy, you can't see me at all. I have concealed myself. There is no way you can see me. I'm independent. I'm a person. I can be hidden from you. And then, all of a sudden, presto, boo, and they come to life. And they're like, now I want to be revealed. And we can connect with one another. And you can connect with me. And I can connect with you. But if I want to, Dad, I can hide anytime. You know, the concept of this game is interesting because the reality is, is when we become adults, we don't play this game anymore, do we? Like, we don't call up our friends and say, hey, you got any plans Friday night? And they're like, no, no plans. Say, well, why don't you come on over and uh, hang out with us, and we will have a crazy game, a mean game of peekaboo. Come on over. Well, we just don't do that. But the concept of peekaboo, folks, is not just a baby's game. Again, we might not invite our, our favorite people, uh, our friends, to come over and play it. But the reality is, is that we play it every single day of our life. And we play it with God constantly. Now, the first two people to ever have played this game were the first two people that God created, Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve are created. They're placed in the garden. And they experience a freedom like no one has ever experienced before. And they have no shame. And they walk with God and they talk with him. And it's like paradise on earth. In fact, the Bible actually tells us that during that time, there was no hiding. There were no secrets. There were no masks. But then one day, Adam and Eve decided that they would turn away from God and his will. They would separate themselves from him and they would do their own thing, even turning away from each other. And sin came into the world and Adam and Eve ate some fruit. And it wasn't about the fact that they ate the fruit, folks. It's about the fact that they're disobedient to God because they want to be their own God. And for the first time in human history, they knew shame. The Bible says this, toward evening, they... Adam and Eve heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I hid. Now, what is the verb that's underlined here? What's the verb? It's the word hid. You can say it out loud. You're in church. It's okay. What's the word? Hid. Yeah. And, uh, Since that time, human beings have become perfect in hiding from God and from one another. For example, I think of my own life. From the point that I was a baby to a toddler to an adolescent to an adult, I will often hide from God. I will sin in some way and I'll try to cover it up. I'll say something mean to someone else and instead of asking for forgiveness... I'll try to hide. I'll try to cover it up. I will deliberately disobey God in some way, and I'll try to put it underneath the carpet because I'm trying to hide from God. Instead of mourning my sin and actually saying, God, I'm sorry for this. I want to turn around and come back to you. What I will tend to do is I will hide. You know, sometimes I kind of wonder Why is it that that's my first instinct is to hide from God? Why is it to hide rather than to turn around and to come clean? Now, can anyone else relate to this or is this just something that I do? Okay, anybody shaking heads a little bit? Um, For example, have you ever done something before that you knew was wrong and then you tried to hide it? Have you ever kind of covered up a sin instead of coming clean? Have you ever said something really, really mean to another person, but instead of asking for forgiveness, you tried to simply put it under the rug? Well, the good news is, folks, is that God realizes that you and I will be disobedient. We're very much like sheep in that way. We will find our lives in such a way that we will actually kind of hide the way that sheep do. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about sheep. They're not smart. And God has had gazillions and gazillions of human sheep who have tried to hide from him time and time and time again. And yet each time that they hide, 
they get further away from him. And yet it's very easy that instead of choosing to hide, if we'll just turn around, if we'll just come clean, we can actually have our souls restored. In fact, in Psalm 23, David says this. He says, he, the great shepherd, the one who's always there with us, who's there to protect us and care for us, he restores my soul. Another word might be, he renews my soul. He'll take me back anytime that I drift away, that I hide, that I go the wrong direction. Now, what's interesting is this word restore uh, in the original language in the Old Testament in Hebrew, it actually means to turn around. So you can imagine there's this picture of green pastures and still waters and sheep are there and everything is fine. And then they start drifting off and they go a wrong direction into the desert. And the reason they do that is because sheep are dumb. They will just tend to go in wrong directions and they will hide. And if they have no water, if they have no food, then over time they could die. Or sometimes sheep will hide in other places and then predators will come and kill them. So that is why the shepherd is there to protect them, to guide them, to restore their soul. The text says, he restores my soul. He renews my soul. It's as if the shepherd is saying, hey, sheep. You're going in the wrong direction. Turn around. Just turn around. Now, in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, uh, this whole concept of turning around is a theological word called repentance. It's where we turn away from the thing that is causing us to sin, and we turn around and we come to God. It's like the shepherd is saying, hey, I've got green pastures for you to eat, to enjoy, to be a part of. There are still waters for you to drink and you're going in the wrong direction. So turn around and come back to what is good. You know, the thing is, though, in our culture, we don't like it when other people tell us that we're wrong. We don't like people to tell us we're going in the wrong direction. So for just the next 30 seconds, 40 seconds, all of you who are non-Christians, you can ignore what I'm going to say because it doesn't apply to you. If you're a non-Christian, this means absolutely nothing whatsoever. Go ahead, check your text. Uh, If you're on the stream, go ahead and get up and get a cup of coffee. Come back in 40 seconds, okay? Don't stay longer than that, but come back. And this is for all of the Christians, And this is what I want to say to you. For those of you who are Christians, when it comes to repentance, this is what you need to know. That if you see me walking out, going the wrong direction, doing something in public that is wrong, you should come and correct me. You should tell me, Chris, you're going the wrong direction. In fact, the most loving thing you can do for another Christ follower is rather than just letting them continue to go down the wrong way and maybe jump off the cliff, you tell them you're going in the wrong way. Turn around. Turn around. That's what we as Christians are expecting. You should say that of me and I should be able to say that of you. 
So, uh, for all of you that are non-Christians, come back now. And uh, all the Christians, everyone in between. And I want to leave you with this big idea today that I hope you'll, you'll resonate with. And it's this. That whenever God tells you to turn around, it is for your good, not his. Whenever God tells you to turn around, it is for your good, not his. Because he's already good. So why does God restore and renew our souls? Why does he cause us to turn around? Well, the text goes on. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Or as the Christian standard Bible says it, and I love it. He says this, he leads me along the right paths for his namesake. You see, here, it's as if God is saying, hey, sheep. That's all of us, everyone on the stream, everyone in the balcony, balcony people, your sheep, people down here in the auditorium, your sheep. And he says, hey, sheep, I'm leading you to green pastures so that you can get stronger. I'm leading you beside still waters so that you can walk through life with peace and you don't have to be in a hurry all the time. And now... I want to restore your soul. But if you want something to be restored, to be renewed, you've got to turn around. You've got to repent. And when you do that, you begin to start going in the right path. And it's for your benefit, for your life. And it brings me honor. The way we bring honor to God is when we have our souls souls restored and we choose To honor his name. You know, when I was a uh, teenager and I would go out with some friends or I would go out with uh, another female on a date, uh, before I would walk out of the door, my dad would often say this to me. He would say, remember what your last name is. And I would say, oh, he's like, yeah, remember your last name because your actions have a, an effect on our last name. Your actions cause an effect on our last name. And it's funny. Uh, I remember that so well that now I'll tell my two girls all the time when they go out with their friends or they go do something, I'll say, hey, girls, remember your last name's Bunch and don't mess up. Remember your last name. And this is what I need you to know. That for those of you, when you took on God's name through Jesus Christ, he gave you his name. He gave you his name and he calls you his son, his daughter, who is treasured. And he longs for you to honor him by doing right things. But how does God restore us? How does he renew us? Does he say... Turn around, you dumb sheep with your big old head. Turn around. You're going in the wrong direction. Is that the way he does it? No. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that wants us to turn around. Folks, God doesn't want you to go through your life with all kinds of shame and guilt And struggles, God doesn't want you to go through your life with hurt. He wants you to experience his healing. 
And the key to experience God's healing is that you turn around, you come clean, and you walk in his right path. So the question is, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we come clean? How do we turn around? Well, let me give you three steps. The first one is this, is that I admit when I'm wrong. Woo! That's a big one, isn't it? I admit my wrongdoings. If you want to turn around, if you want to come clean, I admit my wrongdoings. You know, the reality is when you and I do something wrong, this is what we usually do. We take responsibility for a smaller percentage than 100%. It may be 10, it may be 20, it may be 80, but rarely do people take full responsibility when they do something wrong. What do we do? We would rather deny that this is really that serious or big of a deal. I can minimize it. I can justify it. I can blame it on somebody else. I can pass the buck to some other person. Now, later on in David's life, he made some huge mistakes. And two of them were that he committed adultery. And then to cover it up, he actually goes ahead and he has the husband of the woman that he slept with killed in battle. And as David is thinking about this one day, he realizes that I've got to turn around. If healing's going to happen to my life and my family, I've got to turn around. I've got to come clean. And he says these words. He says, I recognize my faults. I'm conscious of my sin. God, I admit it. I agree with you, God, that what I did was absolutely wrong. Now, uh, folks, it's really important for you to realize that after you sin, God does not want you to walk around for the next 30 days beating yourself up more. He isn't asking for penance. He isn't asking for you to make some wild commitment that says, I'll never do it again. And these are the 15 things I'm going to do to show you, God. This is what God wants you to do after you commit sin. He wants you to take a step and admit I'm wrong. What I did was wrong. It was not right. It could have been avoidable, but I chose to do it anyway. It's kind of like the story of the, the groom who on the day of his reception after the wedding, he's off in a corner all by himself and he's drinking water and no one's around him. And so what we don't see is that the night before, he had a bachelor party and he got wasted. He passed out. And during the wedding, he was sick and his head spinning. And he's over in the corner by himself. And someone sees him all by himself on his wedding day. So he comes up to him and goes, hey, must have been a hard night last night, huh? And he goes, yes. You know what the problem was? They overserved me. They overserved me. I told them not to overserve me, and they overserved me. Folks, we do this all the time, don't we? Maybe not with alcohol and being overserved, but something happens in our life, 
And all of a sudden, instead of taking responsibility, we say, well, they did this or she did this or I wouldn't have acted that way had they done this. And then we start the blame game. And it might be with your spouse or it might be with your kids or your parents or teachers or whoever it is that you pass the buck to. And that's why, folks, what David did was so difficult to do. It's so difficult to take a step and say, you know what? I'm wrong, God. I was wrong. It could have been different, but I chose not to do it. And it's not just the great big things like you might decide in sin. It's the smaller things too. I shouldn't have lied. I shouldn't have gossiped. God, I'm sorry for that. I admit it. I was dead wrong. Well, that's the first step. I admit when I'm wrong. Second one is I ask for forgiveness. I ask for forgiveness. Folks, if you want your souls to be restored, if you want to be renewed, if you want to be made right, what you have to do is you have to ask for forgiveness. Again, David had this entire scheme where he committed adultery with someone who was not his wife, and then he tried to cover it up by having that person's husband killed. His name was Uriah. And in the midst of all of this, he keeps trying to hide and cover it up and make sure that nobody can see it. But every time he did something more, guess what happened to David? He actually felt worse. And then one day he just couldn't go anymore and he admits his wrong and he turns around and he comes clean and he says, God, I need forgiveness. Would you remove my sin? Will you make me clean? Will you wash me whiter than snow? And it's difficult, isn't it? To not just admit you're wrong, but then to say, God, I can't Go on with life unless you forgive me of this. Would you forgive me? Forgiveness is difficult. A couple of months ago, uh, we went out to eat as a family, and it was the night before my oldest daughter, Jordan, got her braces off. And so we invited my parents to come, and we went to Cracker Barrel, and we were around this big table, and we're sitting there together as a family, and Jordan's talking about getting her braces off. And my mom then all of a sudden piped up, and she said this. She said, well, you know your Aunt Lisa got her braces off, and they messed it up, and one of her teeth died. And so I look at Jordan and all of a sudden there's this fear that comes to her face and she's kind of freaked out. And then I look at my youngest daughter, Shiloh, who is freaked out by medical people all the time, especially her mom, who's a doctor. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen to me too. And she gets so freaked out. She gets out of the table and she walks to go to the restroom. Now, I love my mom because she is direct. She will shoot it straight with you all the time. It is no problem for her to do that at all. And if you say something bad about me, you're in trouble. I mean, I think I could kill somebody and she'd say, no, he did not. She is just a defender of me and our family no matter what we're doing. Well, while we're kind of sitting there and I'm processing all of this, unfortunately, 
Not only did my mom not have a filter on that day, I didn't have a filter on that day. And I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, do you think that really helped? Because it was not smart. Why wouldn't you ever say that to somebody who's getting their braces off the next day? And then all of a sudden, my 83-year-old mom, you can see she starts tearing up like, oh, gosh, why did I say that? But on that day, I didn't care. She could have cried as much as she wanted. You're 83. You can have a few more tears, woman. That was dumb. Well, when I was preparing for this teaching uh, a couple months ago, I was praying. I said, hey, God, is there anyone in my life that I need to ask forgiveness for? And immediately I got this prompting from the Spirit, your mom. I'm like, my mom, what? Remember when you went to Cracker Barrel and you almost made your mom cry? She was tearing up. You were wrong, Chris. You were wrong. You could have been kinder. So I admitted my sin before God. I'm like, oh, I'm forgiven. And then God's like, no, 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 no. I forgive you, but if you want healing for your life, you'll actually go and you'll confess this to your mom and you'll ask forgiveness for it. So I go to my parents' house. I walk in. My dad, I said, hey, I want to talk to mom. He's like, okay, I'm out of here. He could tell it was serious. He goes off to the garage. And uh, I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, I said, uh, you might remember a couple months ago uh, we were at this Cracker Barrel and you said that about Lisa's teeth, and I just kind of went off on you. And, you know, do you remember that? You know, you're hoping that an 83-year-old will forget things, you know? <laughs> she did not. She goes, yep, I absolutely remember it. You were not kind. I said, yeah, I know, Mom. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just wondered, you know, I was wrong, and will you forgive me? And then she turned to me, and she said, Chris... You're my son. You're my son. And I will always forgive you. And I probably shouldn't have said so much either, and I'm sorry for that. And I go, Mom, I forgive you too. I I love you. She goes, I love you too. And then because my mom's direct, this is what she said. But you know what? You were, very, you were very short with me, and you're with, that, with other people sometimes. You're just like your dad sometimes. And I said, thanks, Mom. Appreciate that. <laughs> Folks, I don't do this all the time. Sometimes I hurt someone's feelings. I say the wrong thing. I do something bad, and I don't go to them. I don't ask for forgiveness. But if you want your soul restored, you have to admit your sin. And forgiveness comes from God. Every time you confess sin to God, you are forgiven. But if you want healing in your life, you have to ask forgiveness of another person. You confess it to them. Here's the last step of turning around and coming clean, and it's accepting God's healing. You accept God's healing. Now, This is probably the hardest of these to do because many times once we admit that we're wrong, we have a tendency to want to beat ourselves up for the next couple of weeks rather than actually receiving the healing that God wants to give to us. We just can't believe that there would be a God who would 
forgive us and bring healing to our life. And so what we do is we listen to other voices in our head. Uh, Many times it is the evil one who is telling you, can you believe what you just did? There's no way God could forgive you. You're not good enough. Why would you do that? God can't use you. God won't bring healing because of this. And friends, Satan wants you to feel shame and guilt for as long as you can. He'll let you do it for a lifetime. That's how much he wants you to have. And God wants you to experience healing, and he longs for you to receive it. You know, once David admitted his sin and he asked for forgiveness, the Bible says this. He said then, God, please create in me a pure heart and a right spirit. Renew it within me. And David turned around and he came clean and he was restored. And then he was able to walk in paths of righteousness in the right way as he had learned from the good shepherd. But it all came first with him admitting his wrong and then the healing came. Jesus's brother, James, actually told us what happens after we do this in James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's the next word? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, no one is ever eager to say, I'm so excited. Today, I can confess sin. I want to go and confess sin to somebody. But freedom comes, folks, when you do that. I had a guy one time that uh, came to my office, and he'd been coming to church for a little bit, and then he said, I really want to share with you something that I've not told anyone else. And when people do that, I'm like, oh. And he had this secret sin that he had been holding on for a very long time, and he came and he confessed it. And when he did, it was like you could visibly see his body change and you could almost see healing from his heart. And then uh, a woman one time, she came into my office and she said, I've got something that I've got to get off my chest. And she shared this secret sin and we prayed and there was this healing that came to her. And she said, I just felt like I lost 50 pounds. Folks, confession has weight loss to it, okay? Like you can actually get healthier by doing that. And friends, there is power in being honest with somebody else. There is power in confessing our sins to each other and praying for each other. And the scripture said, so that we might be, what's the word? Healed. 